0: Benfica Nation, welcome. After a long, long time, almost three months, maybe more than that. Welcome to episode 151 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike You back from a long hiatus. Thank you, everybody, for still subscribing to this podcast. Glad uh, you're listening, everyone. That is listening. I am back. It was a um, crazy couple of months for me. And that's why I kind of fell off the map there also with the World Cup break in there as well. And and my busy season in in my work and it is it was the busiest I've ever had um, to the point of some some real exhaustion this year. And um, well, I'm feeling a lot better now. I'm back on my feet. I'm I am you know, fully recovered and feeling really good. And I am loving this Sport Lisboa befica. team 2022-2023. I know that um, this isn't the happiest of moments right now in the season. befica have been eliminated from the Portuguese Cup by way of a penalty shootout against Sporting Braga. But, but I think the team is going to come out of that match stronger than ever, or stronger than all season. I really do believe that. I saw so much in that match that I think this team is going to build. This team is tough. This team has an attitude. This team has character, and I think they're going to come back stronger and stronger now. um, A lot to say in that about that match. A lot to unwrap. I got a lot to say on what's happened in the past uh, three, uh, almost three months, Um, you know, basically since the end of the World Cup, since December 30th, uh, when Benfica returned to play, yes, there was the Tasa de Liga in there. Maybe I'll I'll give my thoughts on that as well. But that to me was was little more than a second preseason. Um, you can you can call it what it want. Yes, I wanted Benfica to win that competition because I want Benfica to win every competition. I want to fill the museum with more trophies. Okay. funny how as soon as our rivals win that tournament, it goes from being the Tasa de Cerveja, the beer cup, to all of a sudden it is the Champions League to these teams. And uh, suddenly how much that trophy means to them. Um, Really, really, really funny when the shoe was on the other foot when we won four in a row. You know, it was it was we were mocked for it. Um, But but really, um I was, and I actually did, I should say, start to record an episode the day after the first Braga match that we lost up there, the 3-0 in which I was absolutely livid, in which I wanted Enzo, (laughs) I wanted Enzo Fernandez's head on a platter. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about Enzo in this episode. I'm going to save that because tomorrow I'm going to be recording a review of Rui Costa's interview from... From the transfer deadline day, uh, where he explains that transfer, and that's when I will unload on Enzo. Um, I'm going to save that. I'm going to record that tomorrow. Put it in the can, and then I will, I will release it at a later date. Uh, For now, I'm not going to really touch on that too much. I really don't want to. Instead, leave the focus for the guys that are here, the guys that want to be with us, um, and the ones that want to wear our our emblem in our our jersey. Again, so many guys, I think, have stepped up. Uh, There's players that need to be mentioned. And uh, my focus in this episode is going to be on them. Um, But first, of course, I'm going to talk about this second Braga match, this cup quarterfinal. That's where we're going to start. Tough, tough pill to swallow. I really could not have asked anything more of this Benfica team in this match. Other than perhaps to to convert a penalty um, for Auschiness, but let's let let me get one thing straight before we even talk about what happened in this match. This is not Auschiness's fault. I know it was not a good penalty. Um, he missed in the same exact place he had missed a couple of weeks ago against Portimonense uh, when Mariu, for some reason, uh, allowed him to take the penalty, but when you look at the reality of what we were facing in that penalty shootout, okay. And I'm not going to come here and and hammer, you know, uh, Odie for this because Odie played a good match and made key saves to keep that match tight. Okay. You, I'll give you a balanced, uh, a balanced view of, of Odie's play in that match. However, it's clear penalty kicks are not his thing. It wouldn't even be a bad idea if Benfica started to think about uh, possibly an older goalkeeper who might be a, penalt- uh, a penalty specialist that maybe they could sub in in these situations. I don't think it would be a bad idea to add a guy like that. Um, a guy on the tail end of his career, but who can still come in and save a pen here and there. Um it looked like the only way that we were going to stop a penalty would be if Braga missed the the goal completely. Um, even if Auschnitt scores that and it's 5-5. Five, five, remember, we have two fewer shooters, which means they get to remove their two weakest shooters. Presumably, the goalkeeper, Mateus, would be one of them. So we only had four guys left to shoot after that. And uh, it, it's it's... Bleak. I mean, we had Gilberto, we had Lucas Ferissimo, which probably would have been the next shooter. I'm guessing. Uh, we have Rafa, who does not like to take penalties, who just does not take them. I mean, even when he's, uh, you know, when he could close out a hat trick, he, he and he has every opportunity to take the pen to to complete a hat trick, he doesn't. And then we have also Odie, who would have had to take a penalty at some point. Um, unlikely that we would have won that penalty shootout if we didn't do it in the first five. Um, but without Braga missing, even if it's five, five, I don't think there's really any realistic way we lose that penalty shootout. I mean, I suppose it's possible that the next Braga guy would step up under the pressure because we were shooting first. Uh, if presumably Lucas Verissimo, who was next, who I believe would have been next steps up and converts, then, uh, maybe, maybe the pressure gets to the next Braga player and he sails one or he hits a post or, or something. but um it's 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 a difficult pill to swallow like i said very tough to lose that way when you really didn't deserve to lose braga can say all they want and let me let me let me first start by saying this i have a ton of respect for sporting Club braga okay i have a ton of respect for that team for the football that they play for the football they try to play okay there were things that happened in this match on and off the pitch that really disappointed me from from Braga, okay and, and I just I don't buy the excuses, okay, first of all, reducing the capacity or reducing the availability of the public to go to the match and opening it only to your sausage not because there's that demand, but because you don't want to fill the stadium is absolutely minor league it is it is piss-poor. It is semi-pro. That is a shame. That is an embarrassment to Portuguese football. And I never thought I would say that about this club. They gave Benfica the the mandatory 5% tickets. Okay, fine. The only thing you heard all match was Benfica fans. That's the only thing you heard. You even heard the the PA announcer as they call him in Portugal, the speaker try to get these Braga was going, he's going Braga, Braga, and, and it's just not Braga. It's not catching. Our, our fans, what, however few of them were in there, were singing over them all match long. All you could hear was Benfica Nation in the quarry. They did not want to open the whole stadium, open all the seats, because they knew we would fill that stadium with our fans, and it would become a home match for us. The fact that you can't fill your own stadium is your problem, not ours, not the federation's. Now, by not opening the stadium, they also because tickets at this level are split. It's not fifty-fifty, from what I understand. It's thirty-three, thirty-three, thirty-three. Okay, so the federation they they take their thirty-three, and for whatever reason, they they with their amateur organization of this this competition, and then they're just a joke. The Federate the Portuguese Federation, the FPF is a joke. And to allow this, this should have been sa- this should have been sanctioned. There should have been sanctions coming down. There should have been penalization. There should be fines. Benfica should be entitled to financial compensation because they have a right to 33% of the gate and Braga did not open the gate to enough people. A crowd of 12,000 in change in a Portuguese Cup quarterfinal is an embarrassment in a stadium that holds, what, 30,000 people? Embarrassment. Even the New England Revolution draw more than 12,000 people at a game. Absolute embarrassment from a club that I always put on a pedestal. I look at them. I owe, I, you don't hear me say the big three. It's always the big four or the big five for me. I hold Braga and Vitoria Guimaraes above everybody else along with the the traditional quote unquote big 3 i i i don't want this to sting but this would not have happened in Guimarães vitória would have filled their stadium with their fans it is not benfica's problem that braga doesn't have enough fans to fill the stadium when benfica comes to town all season we have seen that top level empty during braga games all season They'd rather have empty seats and create a lousy atmosphere, create a lousy television product, and then they're going to want us to share television revenue in a couple years with clubs like this, and worse, share television revenue with the Portimonenses and family cones of the world count Maritimo who don't allow our fans to even wear their their Benfica gear in their stadium they want to fill their stadium but they won't let us wear our our gear everybody wants to take money from Benfica while still trying to disrespect Benfica all the time. What's next? Are they going to want to do revenue sharing on the gates too so that if he can get 60,000 people in the Stadio de Luz and then we got to split all the money with all the other teams? No. It's time for the club to take a hard stand. Rui Costa needs to fight the centralization of TV rights because of events like this. The Portuguese League wants to brag about their, their little Tasa da Liga final being the most watched football match on Portuguese television in 2023. Great. 2023 is a little over a month old. Congratulations. Freaking-lations. There was nobody at the stadium. you had 15,000 people in Ladia that day. That's pathetic. Benfica in a home game in that competition at 41,000. Again, our eyeballs are the ones that watch these matches. We are the ones who buy the subscriptions by and large, way over everybody else. And now it's our responsibility to fund the small teams in the league, the teams down the table who do not try, teams with no fan base, teams who who can't fill their own stadium, who play matches in front of a thousand or fewer people. João Gonçalves on his Fever Pitch podcast talks every week when he does his Domingo Sportivo format. He runs down the attendances in Portugal, and they're pathetic. They are absolutely embarrassing. There's no excuse. Don't don't email me with excuses about, "Oh, it it's it's, you know, uh, it's a crisis and we don't have no. A lot of these clubs charge next to nothing. And you know what? If the clubs would learn something, if nobody's coming to your game, drop your prices. You all have sausage. Drop your prices. If the cottage are paid, let them in the door. You want to sell TV rights outside? You want to sell this product outside of Portugal? And centralize TV rights? Make a product that's worth watching on TV. Twelve thousand at a Portuguese Cup quarterfinal is not worth watching on TV. If that was not my club, I would have been. I would have easily been tempted to watch something else. I'd rather watch the Saudi League. Their stadium is full. Their fans are are making noise. 12,000 fans in a quarterfinal between two of the big four. Between two good football teams. That's the part that pisses me off. It's two good football teams. Braga, when they play us, look like giants. When they go to Alvalade, it's another story. And I'm not trying to to aggravate Braga fans. Again, I respect them. I hope they win the rest of their matches From now until the time they come to the luge. I really do. I hope they win every single one they play from here until then. I hope they win the Portuguese Cup. I am not joking about that. I will be happy if they lift the cup. But this cannot happen. This is not how you run a federation. This is not how you promote a sport. These practices are from the Stone Age in this country. I love Portugal with all my heart, but my goodness, their organizational, uh, their organizational abilities, their marketing, their business mindset is so antiquated. They don't know how to build a product and sell it. Never mind the fact that the the, the Tasa, da Liga, the Liga, the the League Cup was impossible to find. You have to go to if you live in the United States and you want to watch it legally. You have to go to Fight TV, a pay-per-view app that I use to watch boxing and to watch mixed martial arts and professional wrestling and pay. That game costs $30 to, to purchase on Fight TV, that Sporting versus Port- Portuguese Cup final. These are the type uh, of providers that the Portuguese League and the Portuguese Federation do business with they don't care about the fans it's 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 quite it's quite obvious with their 9:15 p.m. weeknight starts another thing that that helps keep people out of the stadiums they it, it, it's unreal you know it is unreal and then they they do business w- with brands like this yes i know we are not in portugal we are across the world and we are very small to you but we that purchase these <laughs> Purchase these streaming packages and purchase these satellite packages. We line your pockets. We line your pockets. Nobody in Portugal is paying €90 a month or, you know, the equivalent of $90 a month for a streaming package like the average person here does. Just so I can have Fubo with BTV and with... Not Sport TV, that's not even on it anymore, but with BTV and Artepe on it, okay? Then I'm paying $10 a month to get a VPN so that I can log in in Portugal and watch TVE or Seek when the games are there. The amount of money that Portuguese football fans outside of Portugal pay to follow this sport or on merchandising, we are disrespected. By this league. And Befica is the most disrespected of all. These referees don't respect us. The league doesn't respect us. We, we fund everything. We fund everything. And then they still spit in our face. No matter where we go. You hear the chance of put The puta the SLB. Everywhere we go. We fill your stadium. We give you your money. We, we have you meet your, your financial obligations every season. With our visit. And you call us filhos da puta. Embarrassment. It's just an embarrassment. And then you want to centralize TV rights so that we can fund you. Go screw yourself. Liga Portugal, FPF, go screw yourself. Okay, now that that rant is over, let's get into the match. Okay. Again, Benfica eliminated on pins by a Braga team. Um that are good, I'm not saying they're not good Again, I'm not saying they're not good And uh, if he hasn't Shut this off yet, <laughs> shout out to my boy Dave, okay uh, The Braga fan, um, my friend Dave, he, he's he's a cool dude Dave Pareda, uh, on Twitter And, um, you know, him and I exchanged Some messages after the match And I, I you know I, I told him, I hope they go on to win the cup I really do I don't want Porto to win the cup, that's for sure And Nacional or Nacional or who else is left. Family Kahn, they're not gonna win the cup. So I fully, fully hope that it is Braga at the end of the at the end of this at the Jamur. If that's where they have the final, you never know with these things. Again, the FPF, uh nothing's sacred anymore for them. They'll sell their souls to anything. Um, I hope they are the ones that lift the cup. Um, but Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot I didn't like about this. And um, for them to say that they it was, you know, they had over 90, almost 90 minutes of a man advantage. OK, they scored one goal. And that goal came because it was right after the sending off. Do we go to the sending off first? Do I talk about Gonzalo Guedes' goal? Do I talk about the return of Gonzalo Guedes? It's been so long since I've been on this microphone. Goncalo Guedes has returned to Benfica. This was a great, great acquisition. It it is a loan um, with the money Benfica brought in with the Enzo sale. If things go well, fingers crossed, maybe we can convince him to stay. Maybe we can make a purchase. You know, we we can buy him, purchase his contract from Wolves. Maybe he can stay. He can be a key player for us going forward. Benfica need players in their prime. Okay. Benfica need players that are not going to come and get cherry picked by the sharks. The problem with Benfica's model of going to get players for profit, you know, getting young players and turning them over for profit is exactly what happened in this window. Instability comes in, uh they, you know, they come for your player and you're defenseless. Again, I will get into this more when I cover the Rui Costa interview. I will unload on Enzo, don't you worry. Okay? I'll completely unload on him. But um again I think the key what I like about right now where this team is is we have some key guys like Joao Mario Rafa and even Alchonus who are in the peak of their careers. Okay? They're in the peak and I don't see them well I definitely don't see the two older guys getting getting uh you know picked off by the sharks. I think Rafa and and Joe Mario are going to play the rest of the their top form football with us. Okay. Um, I think that Aushinus, we have a good chance of keeping Aushinus for the long haul as well. He uh, He's a fantastic player. I know he missed the penalty that ended up ending this match. But I really think that he, he is just such a good, smooth, consistent player. I'll take him any day. Uh, right now, Frederick Auschnitz is 27, so he is also in the prime of his career, okay? I think we can keep him for four or five years. Rafa's 29, okay? Rafa is 29. Uh, João Mario is, uh, pulling it up here, João Mario is 30. He's got one or two more top years, I think, in him as well. Listen, he's 30, he's peaking, he's having the best year of his career right now. I like that. Okay, those three guys I think are going to be crucial going forward. Um, We know that that at some point Gonzalo Ramos is going to be sold. Okay, we know when it's we know at some point Antonio Silva is going to be sold. We know at some point Otamendi is going to be too old, right? He's a great leader. He's he he's my captain, my kind of captain. I can't tell you how strongly I feel about Nicolas Otamendi as captain and I can't I still can't believe I'm saying that if you heard what I thought about him four years ago when I started this podcast um go back to the episode where I rewatched the uh 11 Ozebu (laughs) the 11 Ozebu match uh the days after Ozebu's death um where Otamendi was obviously on Porto and what I said about him I can't believe I I mean I can believe it but I when I said that I never imagined I would I would be sitting here you know these three four years later and uh, talking about him being you know he, the definition uh, of a captain The definition of a guy that's defending Benfica's badge and Benfica's on he defends Benfica's honor on the pitch and since he got back from the World Cup he has just been lights out defensively um, Joao Mario too I never thought I we'd see Joao Mario playing for us and I being our vice captain. And me talking about him this way, but this has been a fantastic season for him, and I hope the wave keeps riding, okay, so I think iffik are headed in the right place all right Aushness, I think i I apologize for the scatterbraining right now, but I believe what i was what I was trying to say uh is that Auschness should not be blamed for this loss uh yeah, you know he missed his penalty um. Maybe he shouldn't be taking pens going forward. But between the lines in the 90 or 120 minutes, he is lights out. He just, everything is so smooth. Everything is so well done. And I think if we keep this core together for a couple more seasons, we can really get on a wave here and really start to build something while we start to include the newer guys, you know, one at a time and not what we did in the past where we sell everybody and then go all young for a season and lose. No, no we bring them in gradually and you know, we go forward with it. Um, it's very, very disappointing to not win that. We're not going to win the cup this year because we took this cup seriously. And that's what we've been asking for for years. The Manager Roger Schmidt came in and he, he knew the history. He said it himself, three, three cups in 25 years is not acceptable for a club like Benfica. And, um, I appreciate everything he put into this, um, he clearly he I, I tried I looked everywhere to try to get his post match commentary so I could play the audio for you. Um, it doesn't seem to. I'm wondering if Benfica took it down. Uh, most likely that he took it down because he was critical of the referee Tiago Martins. Um, can't avoid talking about the referee, but I'll I'll hold off on that for just a few more. Uh, moments, okay? I'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's start with the goal, I suppose. Gonzalo Gedge getting back to where I started uh, before I went off, off the rails there. Uh, Gonzalo Gedge on a nice cross from David Nedish. We need David Neric to to raise this game and get back to the form he was in pre-World Cup break, okay? I know he picked up some kind of injury in between, and he's still working his way back, and now, because of other injuries, he's forced to play more than maybe he's ready to, but uh, a brilliant, brilliant goal off a set-piece, uh short set-piece that was played short and then played back to him. He delivered a brilliant ball to the far post. Gonzalo Guedes gets there. Gonzalo Guedes filling in for injured Gonçalo Ramos. Okay? As you know, Enrique Arrugio, who's maybe my favorite of all the strikers, at least in the long term, I think he has the most upside. Um, he's been loaned out to Watford. So Gonzalo Guedes comes in. Um, you know, near the in the transfer window as a, a loan pickup from Wolves and settles in immediately. And, and this is where I have to give Rui the Rui Pedro Braj a lot of credit because when they make these signings, these guys fit. These guys come in and have little to no adjustment period. Our two Norwegian signings, a different story. Oh, not Norwegian. Sorry, Scandinavian. One's Norwegian, one's Danish. Different story. People slow down. They were in an offseason, okay? They're not going to be ready for a little bit. That's why they're on the B team right now. Um, it's going to take them a little while. We signed them during an offseason, so they haven't had a preseason yet. They're kind of doing that right now. Uh, but in the meantime, bringing in a Goncalo Gedge, and he slides right in. Uh, this guy's up in Fikisha. This guy loves the shirt. This guy loves the club, and he is relishing the opportunity to spend these months here, and he wants to be champion. You can see it in in, in him and in his, his his work. And he was good in this match. The problem was, of course, um, it came in... what? Let's see here. What minute did this come in? It came in minutes. I think it was minute 30. Um, yes, minute 30. Alexander Ba sent off. Okay, sent off. Now, this is a red card. In the age of VAR, I'm not disputing the red card. Okay, not disputing it one bit. Because we are in the age of R. When you look at this at slow motion, it looks horrible. It looks it looks like PZ's leg is going to break. Shout out to PZ, who who we see again after saying goodbye to him some six months ago. Uh, he's back in the Liga, and now he's back at his, his old club, the club where uh, we got him from, uh, Sporting Club Braga. And to be honest, I'm happy for PZ. Um he gave he gave us everything he had and gave us some really good years and some really good um statistics. Was was very instrumental in a number of titles, so I don't hold any hard feelings for PZ. Nor do I for Andre Almeida. I'll talk about that uh if I don't forget by the end of the episode. Um I know I was critical of both those guys at different times, but but um yeah, weird to see PZ on the other side, but um yeah, the, the the challenge looked bad when you look at it that way. In, in in live play, the referee only gave a yellow. The problem with this was the referee's criteria completely changed after this this call. It's fine that the VAR called him over. Okay. Yes, he got he came in high. When you look at it that it looks horrible. However, you can also clearly see that Alexander Ba is trying to avoid the contact. Does it matter? Probably not. But but it's worth mentioning that he's trying to avoid the contact. problem is he's rotting, and he's got to put his his foot down somewhere, and he tried to avoid it, and he couldn't, and he caught Peasy. I have no problem with Tiago Martins going to the screen, seeing that, and giving a red, because that now is a red. Years ago this would have been a yellow card and nobody would have thought anything of it. Okay? And we talk about it on Monday after after the press had thrown it out there, right? But that's fine. Okay? Uh the problem here and I have to say, I have not said this. I don't think I've said this yet. Roger Schmidt in my opinion makes a mistake here. And it's not just my opinion. This is this is a pretty uh, large consensus of that i've spoken to or that i've seen throughout the the interwebs and throughout the you know the the the, the social media the podcasts the youtube channels uh, everything this is pretty uh this is pretty consensual that um this was a mistake by by roger schmidt i could i could sit here and probably explain it away because he was thinking different you know he had different thoughts of course he didn't have much time to make this decision uh what he didn't want to do was pl- was be without a right back, have to put Joao Mario or Auschwitz at, at right back. He didn't want to do that or yeah, those are the only two probably that could have gone there. Um so he chose not to do that. Maybe even Nedge. You can't you don't want to put Nedge at, at right back either. So he brought in Gilberto. Fine. My issue is is taking off Gonçalves and here is why. I understand the thought process. If you if you don't if you don't hold and this is maybe this was the spot. Uh of the assistant because this is where I when I was still coaching, this is where I would grab the the head the head coach and be like hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at what you're doing here. What happens when this happened? What happens with first thing I would have said in the spot of the first assistant, okay? And this happened a few times when when I was a first assistant, you know, and a guy gets sent off and he's about to the manager's about to put in somebody and about to take someone else off and said, Hold on what happens when they draw, what happens when they pull level and we got to go get a goal, okay? I would have said to Roger Schmidt, are you prepared if we concede to have to hold on to 1-1 for the rest of the match? It's going to be very, very hard against a team of this quality to get too many scoring opportunities. I would have kept Gonzalo Guedes on for the reason of his versatility. A guy that can play multiple positions when you are playing down a man is like gold. Okay, that's why that's why, for example, Shikinu stayed on, right? Is because Shikinu can play anywhere in the in the midfield lineup anywhere. If you play with the midfield four, he can play anywhere in the four in the midfield in this emergency situation. Um, Tino cannot. Florentino can play in the 6. You're not going to move Florentino out wide. You're not going to move him to an 8. Okay? Again, that's why moving forward at halftime, Tino came off and not Chiquinho because Chiquinho can, if the game calls for it, can can, can move to another spot in the midfield. Gosal Getz can do that in the front. He can play at striker. He can play in the, as a right winger. He can play as a left winger. He can play as a 10 if necessary. Now, you're going to lose one man. I had preferred it have been David Nes like most people that that seemed to be the the correct choice of course Roger had about 30 seconds to make this decision but I wish that the assistant coach had maybe of uh, of uh, had him hold him hold on for a minute he didn't um this and I think and again shout out to my my friend Dave the Braga fan because he thought what he thought from his perspective on the other side of the the, the coin was that he was thinking that he was keeping Nerjan to exploit Skada, And then Skada did a, a good job marking him possible. Okay. I didn't think of that. Pause. I'm thinking more of, I was thinking less of matchups in this point and more of versatility, more of you're going into a counterattacking game now. Okay. And you need, guys to make different runs. David Nerj playing as a striker, which is way out of his element, despite his pace, despite his dribbling ability, um, would be very easy for him to get disconnected, in my opinion, whereas Gonzalo Gets has the ability to drop deeper, to come get the ball, to come and look for for teammates in support to try to keep the ball right really ideally you want to hold up player in this situation when you're going to go down to 10 and play with one on top so the substitution is made Gilberto comes on before the defense can even get organized Antonio Silva maybe needlessly I don't know I have to re-watch it perhaps but I remember him being under very little pressure now, perhaps it wasn't under little pressure. Now that I think of it, it was a cross that was being whipped in, and he headed it out for a corner. But I do believe there was a Braga guy coming in at the far post that uh, could have been very dangerous if he hadn't have done that. But it nonetheless, Antonio Silva concedes the corner. We still haven't figured out our back four in this 4-4-1 that we lined up in. It, it felt like almost, it was three minutes after the substitution, okay? Um. And Gilberto loses his mark, and if you look at it, João Mario also loses his mark, but Gilberto, especially, uh, looking around, trying to figure out who his mark was, uh, the communication was 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 lost. Perhaps some of that is on Odi. some of it's on Otamendi. Maybe um, this is when it's very very dangerous when you've made a substitution at the back. Is that first set piece because this new player hasn't been dialed in, he hasn't been in there at this point, and he you know and here's what ha- he ends up being the guy that gets beat because of this and you have a flick to the back post off of the corner and Amusrati uh gets on it Amusrati played a a <laughs> an absolute phenomenal match um dare i say could that be the the long-term replacement for for enzo i say you know we have some extra money he's 26 years old again <sighs> pay the exit clause, bring him in. We could have him for four, five, six years. And nobody's coming. There's nobody coming to to entice him to leave. Okay, he's just not young enough for the Sharks to come and entice him to leave. And we could have solid, solid years with a player like that. I know we were looking at him at one time. Looks like, you know, it sounds like Ricardo Duarte's no longer welcome at the club by most of the fans. I would still take him um I know I haven't liked some of his uh attitude lately towards us but he is on a different team and he is the captain of that team but um nonetheless uh, I do have to acknowledge the the massive match that almuzrati played um he he was quite quite good in this and he usually is quite quite good against benfica that's that's uh not a a uh, new thing. It's, it's, he's been consistently good against us. And just like that, it's 1 1. And here's the issue now that Gonzalez is out, and it's how are you going to get another goal? Um, a rare mistake, in my opinion, by, by Roger Schmidt. And hey, we all make mistakes. Even managers make mistakes. Even the best managers make mistakes. He makes one here. I think he corrects it at, at halftime. Let's go to halftime. Um, and he makes two changes. Now he takes Nedish off which uh, and brings on Gonzalo Ramos and to me that that acknowledges that he understood he made a mistake, I believe. I really do think he he had a moment to think about it and he said how are we going to get a goal now? It's not going to be with Nedish as a striker. Gonzalo Ramos comes on. And I think comes on before maybe he was ready to. Um I don't know I don't know what percentage of fitness he was at. In this, he ends up getting injured again um, from a Charlie horse that the referee failed to call, failed to even review once again. And um, again, it's unavoidable talking about referees, and we're going to talk about the duality of the criteria of this Thiago Martins. Um, remember, Thiago Martins was the VAR official at, in the Sporting match just a couple of weeks ago that called a much softer penalty than the two he overlooked in this one. Uh, Thiago Martins has been in has been in the matches in which we've been eliminated from both domestic cups now without losing in ninety minutes he's been at the center of it and um i don't have much good to say about him i'm gonna be honest um uh, but here uh the duality becomes absolutely clear in the 55th minute. But first, here's the substitution. Gonzalo Ramos comes on. What Gonzalo brings you is a target man who can hold the ball a little. He's also can drop in like uh, like the other Gonzalo, like Gonzalo Guedes, was able to do. If, if he gets too far disconnected, he's able to drop in. He's able to hold the ball and give your midfielders some more time to get forward. But the key substitution here, and I like this, this has been criticized by some, but I think this is the right call, was to bring on Morato and bring off Florentino Luis. Again, Florentino, like I said, I'm one of his biggest fans, but he is a true six and in the hole holding midfielder. When you're playing with 10, you need versatility. You can't have a guy who's that fixed. Okay. Because you can't move him if you need to, if you have a mismatch somewhere. Um, When you're down a man, everyone has to do their job and a little more. Okay. He can't go forward as much. He's not a box to box player. Um, I think he's absolutely instrumental in what Benfica does. Again, he he has blown up this season and had a fantastic season. He's been very, very crucial to Benfica's success, in my opinion. His partnership with Enzo was something special. Um, but in this situation, down a man, I agree 100% with going with three across the s- three central defenders. And it paid dividends. All match when you saw it anytime that the ball was was driven in or crossed in in front of goal these three won the ball and cleared it to safety okay with the exception of the final basically the final play of the regular 90 where Braga nearly won it but um that was as much about uh, about Gilberto getting completely skinned alive on the drill on the dribble by Bruma um and that was a matchup I didn't like all match. I think Bruma had his way with Gilberto. But I think the three in the center really uh, limited. They limited Braga's chances to shots from distance. We saw one from each of the Orta brothers. Uh, Odie came up and he saved the, the few that, that we did let through. But all in all we really limited their chances after they equalized. They had very, very few clear scoring chances. The ones that were were more from distance and then that very last one in the, what, 90th plus five or whatever it was, um, that ends up hitting the outside of the post and going wide. Uh, But I get get it. I like the the decision to go to three at the back in this situation. And why I like it is because I think if you stay with a 4-4-1, you... You're going to find yourself playing with two lines of four deep in your own end, and then you're going to have too much space between the midfield four and the striker. Or he's going to drop too deep, and you're never going to get forward. With three central, it allows the two outside backs to become wingers, and and it does allow, and they did, and Gilberto, but more so Grimaldo, were able to get forward um, and get a couple of chances. We were able to control the game without the ball. The first 30 minutes when we had eleven, that was some of the best football Benfica I've played in the entire season. This lo- I do believe, and I, I know that we'll never know. But in a parallel universe where where that yellow card stands and isn't overturned, or in a parallel universe with no VAR. I think we win this match three or four nil with all due respect because we were just on top of them. They had no solutions. We were playing at will, moving the ball, cutting them up. But then that happened. And uh, they they got a second wind, of course, and we lost a lot of our our dynamic. But here I think we recovered some of it. Though we no longer were gonna be able to get as many dangerous chances going forward, we were gonna wait for that counter that we could hit them on. We're going to wait till they got sucked forward, um, looking for a a go ahead goal, and then we could hit them on the counter. Um, Florentino doesn't make sense in that. To sit in front of a back three makes no sense to have him there. That's why uh, he comes off, like I said, and you see Chiquinho. In my opinion, this was the best match I've seen Chiquinho play for Benfica. Okay, he he did everything Enzo does. Okay, maybe not as pretty. And maybe not as dangerous going forward. That that may be a stretch. But he did not hurt us in any way, shape, or form. One of our best players on the pitch also in this match was him. Okay. Covering a lot of space. Cutting out a lot of of passing lanes. Uh, Befica showed a lot of discipline. Controlling the match without the ball. Okay. Holding Braga to a lot of possession in the middle and defensive third. Looking now. As we continue looking at the statistics for this one, okay, um, that are not available on Fot Mob excellent. Uh, never mind that. Um I don't have the the, the ball possession was fifty-fifty. I do have it. It was fifty-fifty possession. So Benfica playing 90 minutes down a man managed to get 50% possession against a good team. This was not playing down a man. Against Maritimu, playing down a man against Verzee. okay. Uh, Benfica obviously with three wins to get to this round, beating Caldas, beating Estoril, and then Verzee. Um, this is not this is Braga. This is Sporting Club Braga. This is this is a team that has our number right now. That has had our number for a while. They continue to have our number. Um, it's a matchup that for whatever reason we can't seem to figure out. Um, but in this match I think we did we did a really this was maybe one of the better matches we've played against them up there I think we have won against them and not played this well but uh, she again Shikinu just covering space he did his job and and florentino's job in the second half okay uh auschness also the midfield three were just phenomenal Romadio listen some people don't see it, but do you know how crucial is João Maru's ability to keep the ball on his feet in order to allow our our players to get forward and out of our end and to get some territory and be able to preserve some possession? Because when you're down a man, you rest by possessing. You You rest by moving the ball. And when you don't have the ball, you have to be completely, you know, you got to be completely on point. You got to be completely locked in is the word I'm looking for. And we were, and we were in this one. Yes, we fatigued as the game went on, of course. Uh, second half, you know, late in the second half. Uh, it looked like we were struggling to get out of the 90. I really was worried about that. You know, we, a few dangerous set pieces for Braga. They have, They have absolutely torched us, killed us on set pieces this season. And, um, always nervous about those. Fortunately, none of them ended up, you know, none of them ended up coming up to anything, but I felt that if we got 30 more minutes, maybe we would find the winner. I thought we'd see Rafa in the extra time and maybe we'd find a winner. Now, I have skipped over the penalty call uh, penalty kick that by the standards of Portuguese football, is a penalty because this referee sent as the VAR official sent the referee to the monitor to see an identical foul. Identical two weeks ago at the Stadio de Luge and to call it a penalty. When it happens in front of his own eyes, he does not call it. He does not even consult the VAR. And whoever the VAR, I forgot his name. I don't want to know his name. He he's a referee from the from the AF Porto. From from the AFP from the Associação do Porto. So right there, that's already a bad start. And um he doesn't call him over to see this. This is a penalty I, in Portuguese standards. If it I would I can live with that not being a penalty if I don't see it with my own eyes being called against us and being called in favor of some other unnamed blue and white striped teams. They get penalties like this all the time. Not to mention what Ba did. Wendell has done a number of times, and he does not get sent off. VAR, no VAR, doesn't matter. VAR only comes into play when it's convenient. Someone explain to me how VAR does not intervene in in Racic's (laughs) stamp on Olshinus in the 55th minute. Someone explain to me how it doesn't intervene in in the first half would-be penalty possible penalty and then again it doesn't intervene in what was it the 90th minute and change when gonzalo ramos takes a charlie horse there's no question about it yes the braga defender i forget which one it was has his his foot firmly planted on the ground but he does he does put his knee out just enough to to take him down and clearly it's a charlie horse that is enough to take him out of the match Anyone who's played this game and taken a knee to the hamstring or to the side of the thigh knows exactly what that feels like, and you're not playing anymore if it, if it hits just right. Neither one of those was reviewed by the VAR. Why? Because they would have to give him they would have had to give the penalty based on the criteria they have created. Based on what we see week after week in the Tugan, it doesn't matter what the foul is. It matters what team it goes against. And this is nothing against Braga. Braga is not to blame for any of this. Sporting Braga is not to blame. For my frustrations with them, I already vented. Most of them off the pitch. This is not their fault. They they gotta play the match. They're not gonna sit here and tell the referee, oh, that was a penalty, obviously, or oh, I stand I should also get her. No, they're not gonna do that. N- nor should anyone expect that. These referees need to be competent, and they're not competent. And I will get to shortly um some of the, the blowback about it. Um but again, just an inconsistent incompetent performance from Thiago Martins and from the rest of and from the VAR crew. No question about it. This, this is inexcusable, and it needs to be pointed out. It needs to be shouted. And the next time Thiago Martins is assigned a Benfica match, Rui Costa needs to be in the press, in the pregame presser, reminding everyone about this match. Every time he officiates one of our matches, this match needs to be brought up. Every single time. Put that pressure on him immediately. The fans, when we fill the Stadio de Luz, we need banners reminding Tiago Martins that he screwed us. It's time to play the way the rest of them do. Because you know what? Being the nice guy and taking the high road has got us nothing but screwed. In Portugal, I say this. I've been saying this for a while now. It's as much a political game as it is a football game. Winning the title takes political power as much as it takes ability. Roger Schmidt is learning this. Roger Schmidt said, in my opinion, this very same referee who called the very same penalty a couple weeks ago today does not call it. And he's 100% right. The league is probably going to suspend him, probably going to fine him, because when we do it, it's twice as bad. Sergio Conceição can say and do what he wants. He misses a game here or there. He's been sent off what? 23, 24 times now. And he's nothing has happened to him. Roger Schmidt says says one thing. Let's see what what the league and what the federation wants to do to him. They are the the association of referees wants punishment for Rui Costa. Well, we want punishment for referees that don't do their job correctly. Again, this is not Braga's fault. I'm not blaming them. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Again, I hope they go on and lift the cup. If we can't win it of the teams that are left, I hope it's them. And I hope we get them back (laughs) in round 31 at the Stadio de Luz, of course. And then maybe even next August in the Super Cup. All right. So the match ends again. The end of the extra time. We weren't able to get many opportunities the end of the extra time comes and uh yeah we survive and while you know i applaud the effort i was happy with the effort actually very very proud of uh, of the effort um we do get another red card i almost forgot to mention because the referee in extra time decided that every single foul was a yellow card um an absolutely ridiculously soft yellow card to to Moratu. And then he kind of uh, feels he needs to commit a foul there in the final minute of extra time. And unfortunately, what that does is that takes off another penalty shooter because Roger Schmidt is forced to make another substitution so that we can maintain our five at the back for the final seconds. Maybe he gets this one wrong as well. Uh, I would not be taking Shikinu off because Shikinu takes penalties. Shikinu converted his penalty against Kalvish. Rafa does not take penalties. I know you subbed him on, but for me, Rafa is the guy that comes off if he's not going to shoot. Rafa is the guy that comes off. And we defend the final minute and we wait for penalties. Roger didn't go that way. Again, I have nothing but respect and, and I have enjoyed and I love everything Roger has done this season. Okay, everybody has an off night. I think he had a little bit of an off night here. Um, so we lose. I don't know how good Morato is at penalties, but I think I remember him converting one in the youth league final, which is a much different story, but uh, that was three seasons ago now. But we lose him and we lose Chiquinho in the process. We keep Rafa on the pitch. I don't know why, because he does not want to shoot penalties. He's never one of the five. Chiquinho has been one of the five. So I don't understand that that decision. Again, Oshinus is the one that misses. And he probably shoots fourth anyways. I think Chiquinho would have shot fifth. Maybe Antonio Silva would have been the one that doesn't shoot. But again, uh, shout out to the kid who stepped up and buried his penalty. Uh, the 19-year-old, no problem. But here we go. We go to, uh, again... The referee's criteria ends up getting another Benfica player sent off, while Rakic does not get sent off. And Artur George knows that, the Braga manager. That's why he subs him off at the 59th minute. That's why um, that, you know, Victor Gomez, plenty of opportunities to be sent off. Not even a yellow. He could have easily accumulated two yellows. Nyakate and Tormenta, same thing. Braga somehow end up with you know with 11 men and uh duality of criteria what's yellow for one is not for the other until extra time where every single foul was a yellow okay so benfica win the toss you can tell by reading the uh body language of the referee and the two captains the first the first flip it looks like braga won it they selected the side and then Benfica won the next one and selected to shoot first, which is in my opinion always the right idea um João Mario the normal penalty taker steps up first, perfect penalty, full of confidence and sends sends uh is it Matil's name? I should know the yeah Mathi the wrong way, and that Matil is one long, long goalkeeper I mean um. He, he just, when when they showed the camera angle from behind the penalty spot, you know, showing the back of the penalty taker, he just looks like he covers so much of the goal. Um, he makes himself look bigger. And uh, Jomari sends him the wrong way. Ricardo Orta steps up for Braga. He scores. And I think this was the closest that Odi got to saving one. Uh, but he just put too much on it. It gets by him. Otamendi steps up, the captain. And I don't know if I—I don't remember him shooting a pen in the World Cup. I don't remember him being one of Argentina's penalty takers. Um, I had no idea what to expect here, and I said, "Oh boy, the center back right o- already." Uh, but he steps up and perfect buries it with with force, low, and in the to the goalkeeper's right. But if he could stay up 2 one. Um, Alvaro Jalo steps up for, uh, for Braga, the youngster finishes his, and I think this is the other one that I thought, oh, might've had a chance to save, but he just couldn't reach his hand out in time. Um, which is, is, is strange how a goalkeeper who is a decent to good shot stopper and has matches where he's a great shot stopper is unable to really move his hands to make the save. 2-2. Uh, Antonio Silva steps up, and I am nervous. This is a huge spot to put a teenager on. He he might look a little nervous, but he steps up and he hammers the ball into the corner, sends Matilde the wrong way. At this point, both Otamendi and Antonio Silva went to the same side. This is something I used to tell penalty takers to pay attention to. Every goalie dives better to one side than the other. It, the really great ones, it's hard to tell. But there's very few in that that you can see don't like to or prefer to dive to one side. I would watch, when I was coaching, I would watch the other team warm up a lot of times, specifically the goalkeepers, for that very reason. I would, I would see which way they like to dive. If I ever did a scouting report on a team, I'd get all. I'd get a lot of the goalkeepers' tendencies right. That'd be the first thing I take down, because you got to know th- what the goalkeepers' preferences are, and you try to make him do something else. Um, more on that in a minute. Andre K- Kashu steps up, confident, sends Odie the wrong way. Three-three. Frederick Aushenis steps up. Now Frederick has converted his penalty in, at Kaldish, okay, and missed it against against Portimonense. I don't remember if he shot, I believe he's shot to the same place both times. Now, goalkeepers today, if you've taken two penalties, they know where you put both of those penalties when they step up. They prepare for these knockout matches that are going to have penalty shootouts. A goalkeeper knows where the penalty takers like to, sh- like to kick the ball. This is why today you see so many goalkeepers save penalties. Emiliano Martinez at the World Cup knew every single penalty taker that stepped up and he knew how to play the mind games even better. He had an unbelievably uh, athletic ability to to fly across the net as well as very good body reading skills and just knowing having studied well the penalty takers. And Auschnis puts the ball right where he put it the other two times. A big strong goalkeeper, a long Big wingspan goalkeeper like Matilj, When he already knows where you're going, very hard to beat him. And the shot was too much to the middle. I don't know why Auschines didn't go the other way. Because I believe Matius had gone to his left twice in a row. Befica had shot to his right twice in a row. Auschnitz knows he's he shoots to the goalkeeper's right. Matilde knows that he shoots to the goalkeeper's right. You got two options here, in my opinion. And people say this is a lottery, and it's not. You got two options. Neither of them is shooting to where you've already missed and like to shoot. You either go to the left or you smash it up the middle. That's always a better option. How few goalies stay central in these shootouts. When you got a, again, a guy who who looks like he can reach the two posts from the middle of the goal. And he's diving on all of them. He's not staying home on any of them. He knows where you're going and you should know that he knows where you want to go. You should be, well, I would say you should be Kind of wanting to sell that you're going to go there. That that's something maybe maybe not every kicker can do, and you might telegraph that you're not going to go there if you try to do that too much. But this this one was perfect to just smash up the middle. A Panenko would have worked in this one because he would have gone. He was going. Um, or you just slot it in the other side. I think anything else would have worked. I don't know if if the coaches coach these guys up on this at all. I don't know how much they practice this. Um, but these were things that when I was coaching, I always kept in my mind and in my note, my small notepad. Especially when I knew the opponent reasonably well, and especially and at this level, at the senior level, a first division where games are televised and everyone has video access of every team and scout in in video departments in every team. Have have you know analyzed this up and down. In the old days, they used to tell you pick your spot and go there. That's not the case anymore. These goalies know too much now. You need to, you need to fool the goalkeeper. You need to do the unexpected. Um, especially when you're not a power shooter. If you're a guy with power like Otamendi that had hammered it into the low post, it doesn't matter what what the goalkeeper is going to do. He's not saving it. Unfortunately, is, um goes where he's gone the other two times. At least, definitely where he went against against Portimonense, where Nakamura saved it. And um, if he could fall behind, and at this point, I had kind of uh, accepted that we were going to lose this one because I couldn't see Odi Odie is making a save. My hope was that Paulo Oliveira. In the fourth spot, the center back who had just come on would put it over or put it wide. He didn't. Grimaldo, with all the pressure to keep the shootout going, steps up. Matilde almost saves it. He does finally go to, to the goalkeeper's left. Matilde guesses correctly. Knowing that he's good that, that Benfica, you know, have uh, have shot to the right three times in a row. Law of averages says that he's gonna go to the left, and he goes to the keeper's left, but it's a well enough taken that it goes into the goal. And um, well, Al Muzarati steps up, and Odie's helpless. Braga win. Uh, tough way to lose. Tough, tough way to lose. Benfica fans uh, almost immediately starts singing Iwamu Benfica, la 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 la," and singing Benfica Amor de Minha Vida to salute the players. The players salute the fans. You don't get that on TV because, again, the cameras don't even show that there's Benfica fans there, even though you can hear them. They make it seem like they're not there. There's so many empty seats, it's hard to find them. But there they were. And, um... Yeah, Braga's celebrating with the handful of people that are there. They kept everybody else out. But, congratulations to them. Uh... They they did what they had to do again. Not their fault that the referee completely ruined this this good match between two good teams. In the end, unfortunate. Benfica won't be going to Jamor this year. If the final's even going to be there again, you never know. In Portugal, they change things at the last minute. If the Godfather of the North uh, permits, the final will be at the Jamor. But uh, and you know who I'm talking about when I mention him. But uh, yeah. Braga advanced. They'll take on Enes over two legs. There is no mathematical way Braga does not go to the final when you have two legs. Same thing for the the prison stripes, uh, the blue and white prison stripes. There's no way Fumli is going to be eliminated or is going to eliminate them over two legs. So I think the final is set with all due respect to those clubs. And yeah, Befica bow out, but it's time to uh, regroup. Think about the Champions League. Think about the league, obviously. No league match this weekend. And, uh, you know, focus on Wednesday in Belgium against against what that publication from the north, that publication created by Olivid Sports, Unoju, as I call it, or Ujogo, uh, called them the Real Madrid of Belgium. We're playing the Real Madrid of Belgium on Wednesday. Okay? Um, so... We're in for it but i I think the team's gonna react very very positively. I think they're gonna t- continue to play well um I don't think fatigue is gonna factor in uh they're gonna have some players available that uh didn't that didn't play i I think rafa was saved although he didn't look great he also didn't have much support It's hard for him to play as a striker with no support it, when you're down a man of course, but I think we're gonna be okay and um yeah, and then when we come back, we've got we've got Boavista next week in the league. Uh, I'm gonna take a break here, okay? And when I come back, I'll briefly run down the last several uh, match days, the last several rounds of the um uh, that we missed since I last since I last recorded sometime in November. Um, I know the last match I didn't talk about the the Gil match before. Uh, the World Cup break, so I'll pick up from there. I'll just run down some scores and uh, some bullet points on the performance. Um, before I take a break, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually hit some of the reaction um, to the obviously fallout of the match. Rui Costa direct criticism of referee Tiago Martins. I obviously support this one. I've been calling for this for three years. I've been calling for this for three years. I called. For it from our former president who did nothing, said nothing, allowed everybody to step on us, and just counted his money in the bank. Um, this is exactly where we need to be. I know not everyone agrees. People want to be political. I say political correctness out the window. Political correctness does nobody any good anywhere. Never mind in football. It's time. It's a. En- it has reached a point where enough is enough. And I totally agree with and support him. Both in the press and face to face, like he did. The video's all over YouTube. Go check it out. He gets right in Tiago Martin's face and says, Fush too, it was you who called a who who called the referee to the monitor to call a penalty on an identical play that today he did not call. That is inexcusable. That is inexcusable. A couple of weeks ago. Inexcusable. I totally support that. I support Roger Schmidt saying it as well. Suspensions and fines be damned, okay? The club should just pay them for them because it's true. And the the structure of the club, the board of the club, needs to be vocal. It needs to be very, very hypercritical of every single referee we get from here on in. Nobody comes to our matches feeling comfortable from now on. And maybe this is a club-wide, maybe this is a club-wide um, policy now because in today's BT match earlier today, um, Luis Castro did the same thing. He hammered the referee and, and rightfully so. He he sat there and listed every time that the referee they had today had refereed by Fika B. He he listed off the points he cost them with goals that should not have counted or with calls that were wrong and. I know, again, this is going to offend referees everywhere, because if you ever look at a message board, anytime you offend, anytime you criticize a referee, the entire referee fraternity jumps down your throat and tells you to take a whistle. Well, guess what? We're talking about professional football here. We're not talking about kids. We're not talking about volunteers. We're not talking about, you know, part time referees. These are professional referees. And there's a there is a lot at stake there is money at stake there's prestige at stake there are points at stake there are you know places in the next round of competitions and this is not acceptable and luis castro completely 100% right i 100% stand behind him suspend them if they if they might just don't let them do it don't let them continue to to be this poor okay just because they're afraid of the godfather from the north just because they're afraid of that piece of garbage that runs that garbage club up there, and you know who I'm talking about. And uh, funny side note: uh, during the World Cup break, break I got my first one star rating uh, for the show, and I know who did. I know who did that. I know exactly who went in there and clicked a one star rating. Thank you. It. I don't care. I don't care. My show is not for you, and I'm right on top of it. But um, again, Luis Castro through. I applaud I applaud him uh coming out on referees and we need to do it from now on whatever the consequences may be don't have players do it I prefer it not be coaches because we need coaches i prefer the clubs you know vice they have 152 vice presidents take turns getting suspended and going to matches and slamming referees that would be my battle plan okay we just we just raked in 40 minute 40 million up front let's let's use some of that on fines taking down referees, and making them uncomfortable. Let them know that we are going to call out their mistakes, especially when it's incompetence and it's not an error. There's a difference between error and what happened in this match in Braga. Okay, Uh, Otamendi had a tweet. I wrote it down. Um, And again, players. I wish players weren't doing this, but I love that he's doing it. He's the captain of the team. I'm sure he's going to get fined for this. But, uh, Nicolas Otamendi's tweet, not long after the match, he's probably still in the locker room. Sinceramente continuo, I'll read it in Portuguese, then I'll translate it. Sinceramente, continuo sem entender os criterios da de decisão para um lado e para o outro. Sincer- he says, sincerely, I, cont- I continue to not understand the criteria for these decisions for one side or for the other. This tweet had 31.3 thousand likes, 6,300 retweets, and 1.17 million views. This is what Portuguese football wants to be. This is what we're going to make it. We will We will humiliate them. We are big enough. Grimaldo also took to it, but however, he deleted this tweet, but it was up for a moment. And João Mário even even retweeted it, which I thought was funny. With the praying hands, I think he he put or the uh, raised hands emoji. But it's Grimaldo. And notice that these players are tweeting in Portuguese and not in their native Spanish. (laughs) Há momentos para fazer autocrítica. Mas hoje... Mas não hoje, excuse me. Fazemos tudo para passar a eliminatória. Mas foi... Muito, what did I write? Muito complicado a jogar com inferioridade desde o início. Agora temos que continuar para atingir os objetivos que faltam. Juntos contra todos, carrega Benfica. Translation from Grimaldo. There are moments to make a self-criticism or a self-assessment. Today was not one of those. We did everything to advance. But it was very complicated playing with a numerically inf, you know playing uh in inferior the infuria infiori- that tough word for me to say there uh numerical in you know num, mer- reduced I I can't I can't translate it perfectly right now my brain is is not working at, at its best but um. Working at a numerical disadvantage, we could say, since the beginning. He didn't say since the red card. He says since the beginning, because he's t- because it's true, even when we had 11, it was 11, verse 12, 13, 14. Now we have to continue and work towards obtaining our ob- our objectives and um, that are left to, to conquer, as he says. And then he says, together against everybody sounds familiar there's, there's a nice expression that the team that's always benefited likes to convince themselves and their neanderthal fans that uh they're contra tutti, contra todos which is the most ridiculous statement when you have are as benefited as they are from everyone and anyone and then he finishes with i don't know if that was meant to be a jab but he took this down and then just changed it in you know Gave the generic, uh, we can do this team We'll, we'll come back better Okay, that's uh, Basically enough That's an hour and 15 minutes on this match I obviously cannot make up Three months of dead air In one episode, I'd be here All night and you'd be listening For over, for weeks <laughs> If I did that, this would turn into an audiobook in itself But because This is an audio history If you will, an archive, it will become an archive Someday of the of a, each season, I will after the break uh, recap or just run down the results that I missed and give my thoughts on you know the performers and and again there won't be any Enzo talk today. Um, I've got much more to talk about that that I'm gonna. Don't worry, that's coming. Um, but I'm gonna take a break here and I'm um, gonna play for you guys in this break a short trailer for a new podcast I have coming out this year. Um, it, it may interest my audience in the United States, um, but I welcome everybody to listen to it, obviously. But um, if you want to go ahead and skip forward three minutes and one second, because that is the length of this of this uh, this trailer. This is a new project I'm working on, and um, it's going to be a historical podcast called Birth of a Soccer Nation, where I'm going to tell the story of American football or American soccer I should say uh, to, to to avoid confusion I prefer to call it football but to avoid confusion I'll say American soccer from uh you know the absolute bottom of the barrel the absolute uh, bottom pit to 20 million Americans watching uh the United States and England at the World Cup this past this this past November so um here's a quick a quick sneak peek it's coming out Later this year on the PTV Media Network. I'm the Mr. Mike Gustinu. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Gustinu. You can follow the show on on Twitter as well. At, at um uh, Mr. Bayfica. I almost called it a different show. My goodness, it's been a while. I'm getting rusty. At Bayfica Mister. Do that again. Follow the show at Bayfica Mister on Twitter, on Instagram at Mr. Bayfica. Um uh I noticed not having any any episodes for a while cost me a few a few followers but a lot of followers i believe are bots unfortunately anyway um but if you're not following yet please go to at mike Agostino. that's at m-i-k-e-a-g-o-s-t-i-n-h-o and at bankfica mister and give me a follow and i'll be right back uh, after this What's up, PTB Nation? This is the Mr. Mike Agostinho, and I'm here to tell you about a brand new podcast coming your way from the PTB Media Network. You know, every weekend in America, American soccer slash football fans, whatever you want to call the sport, tune in to their favorite leagues and watch Matches Upon Matches. Every weekend, upwards of 100 live matches are available on television and on streaming in the United States of America. But did you know that that was not always the case? Did you know that there was a time where soccer was completely obsolete on American television? There was a time when the national team played World Cup qualifiers at high school. There was a time where there was no English Premier League on Saturday mornings. The only professional game played here in the United States was played indoors. Hard to believe when just this past Black Friday, nearly 20 million Americans tuned in to watch the United States and England at the FIFA World Cup. But that was a pipe dream at the timeline where we start this podcast back at the end of the NASL when it looked bleak, when the United States did not get the bid to host World Cup 86 where college soccer was something uh, of an afterthought uh, where soccer players went and decided to kick for the American football team because there was no future in the sport. I'm taking you back there and we are going to relive it because it's important to know where we were before we can go where we're going. Birth of a Soccer Nation is a new podcast for the PTV Media Network. It's dropping in 2023 on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. We'll re-watch classic matches, throw in a documentary or two, some newspaper articles, maybe some magazine reads as well, and we'll relive the growth of the game from the bottom up, the underdog story, so we can understand it, just what it means to be an American soccer fan today and just how hard it was to get here. Listen to Birth of a Soccer Nation wherever you get your podcasts and find it on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. Follow the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media now and be alerted when the first episode drops in 2023. Welcome back to Mister Benfica, episode one fifty-one. All right, for the sake of, for the sake of continuity and for the sake of historical uh, accuracy, you could say, let's recap quickly or run down the results uh, that were not covered in the podcast during this huge hiatus. The last episode one fifty was actually after Benfica had beaten Maccabi Haifa. To win the group in the UEFA Champions League, oh, how highly I spoke of Enzo! <laughs> Not in that episode, but in previous episodes. I, it's I, it's going to be cringy to go back and listen to the way I spoke about him earlier in the season. Um, if only I had known, especially the part where he said that he was going to, you, you know, he wanted to use our club as a trampoline, and I totally downplayed it, thinking we'd get at least a season out of him. But anyway uh we had beaten Maccabi Haifa 6-1 in in uh Haifa in Israel. Uh that was the last time we talked. So the next match 4 days later was for the Portuguese league the Liga Portugal in Estriol. Um and we went there and we won 5 to 1 over Estriol. And let's see here the goal scorers on that day were Peter Musa, Antonio Silva, Antonio Silva with two, João Mario and Mihalo Ristic. Those were our five goal scorers that day. The Istriu goal scored by Sergio Andrade in the 90th plus one. Oh, I hate giving up clean sheets at that point in 90 plus one. But a very dominant, dominant performance. Knowing we were going to play Isturil again three days later in the Portuguese Cup. Um, we went to and in 1-0. One, one a different performance, a different group. Uh, Istoril m- uh, made a lot of adjustments, but David Nerge was good enough to get a goal in the 66th minute. That's after Ishtriel were down to 10 men with a direct red for Chico Giralds. Uh Benfica advanced there. And then the final league game before the break on November 13th, Benfica hosted Gilles Vicente at the Luge we would win that one three1 um goals from João Mario from the penalty spot in the ninth uh friend Navarro the soon to be Porto player would would equalize from the, his own penalties or from the other penalty spot in the 17th but then Gonzalo Ramos with a double and starting his real spike of form that landed him at the FIFA World Cup where he would get a historic hat-trick in the round of 16, um, a real ascent for Gonzalo Ramos uh, before injuries kind of hampered his his uh, momentum. But Benfica would win this one 3-1 to one in front of 57,266. And then a week later, with most of the eyes of the world uh, ready for the World Cup, Benfica hosted Strela Amadora in the League Cup at the Stadio de Luz. This is the one where we had 41,000 in the house. Uh, sorry, excuse me. I stand corrected. This one was at the Hibleda. uh We would go there and win 3-2 to two goals from Musa Chiquinho from the penalty spot. Again, penalty taker. You don't sub off a penalty taker in the 120th minute. You just don't do it. Draxler added a goal. Uh, I haven't even talked about Draxler. I don't think I will in, in this episode. But I'm still holding out hope that he, he becomes a contributor, a more regular contributor in this squad. We have him for, for the rest of the season, and I hope he finds his form. Um, he is a long way from the player he once was. Uh, but within that context of who he is right now, I think he can still provide, especially where we are very, very thin there in midfield. We need him to recover. We need him to gain back some of that that level that we know he can reach. Um, those were the three goals there. Uh, Jean Silva and Gustavo Rodriguez would score for Strela. Um, bifica picking up three points there in the League Cup. And then this was the match with 41,000 in the League Cup. On November the 26th, yes, the World Cup was going on, but the Liga Portugal would have the League Cup. Why watch the World Cup when you can have the League Cup? And, uh, yeah, the only game with really any attendance in this entire tournament, and it was Gilberto and David Nersh with goals in the 55th and 56th minute to win 2-0 in front of that large crowd. Mefica seemed set. To go to the ne- to the quarterfinals, it seemed a foregone conclusion. However, this, however, well before that we had a friendly with Sevilla that nobody cares about except the the press talked about. Because first loss, Bavica's first loss of the season in a friendly. When on earth has that ever counted as a team's first loss? Um, especially, uh, during the world cup where we were using all kinds of different players and Draxler was injured again, Morato was injured. And eh, yet, uh, and Sevilla also with plenty of injuries of their own of guys who came back from the world cup injured, but, um, guys who'd already been eliminated, but, uh, yeah, Mexico would lose that one. It was no big deal. This was after a ten-day break or a seven-day break that Roger Schmidt gave everybody, and everybody was criticizing Roger Schmidt for that. But you know what? Um, I think that was the smartest thing because as we're regaining our form now, and as our play is starting to get get its crisp back, get its its pace back, getting its 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 fluidity back, um, I think that rest is going to be very very crucial. As this, these matches are now going to come fast and furious, you know, very, very quickly with very little rest between the matches again with Champions League starting back up. And of course, uh, the rounds of, uh, you know, we're now in the second half of the league as well. So I think that uh, I think Roger Schmidt, who has managed in leagues that have a winter break before, might know a little better than uh, that. The, the Twitter army and the the Portuguese press as to uh, how to handle a winter break. So again, benefit of the doubt there. All right. So Sunday, one week later. Sorry, Saturday, December the seventeenth, week before Christmas. I believe this was the day before the World Cup final. Uh, Moreirense hosts Benfica up there in Moreira dos Conagos, and Benfica does everything they can. It was from. I didn't watch any of these matches, I'm going to be honest with you. I have no access to this stupid tournament. Uh, again, the the league has no TV partner for this competition here in the United States. And I'm not about to destroy any more computers watching pirated football games when I pay all this money for streaming services. And there's plenty of other matches at my disposal. Not, it's just an absolute... Sham this is this this tournament is an absolute joke now it has become a joke it's an absolute money grab um and it's a way for the league to basically pat itself on the back um Benfica unable to get a goal but from everything everyone said it was an absolute massacre and um very unlucky not to win this match this ends up eliminating Benfica from the league cup because Moreirense had already known exactly what result they had to get in their match against Estrella Amadora. To go ahead of Befica on goal difference. And they get it. They advance. Only to lose to Roca If I'm not mistaken in the quarterfinals. Roca making their way to the final four. Uh, of this, this league cup. But moving on. This was not the biggest. I mean it was a disappointment. Because again I want to win every trophy. I want Befica to remain the club in Portugal. With the most trophies. And at least according to uh, according to another club, we no longer are. I think we dispute that, that claim. However, I want it to be indisputable. And that brings us to Friday, December the 30th, when I recorded half a podcast and just couldn't do it. I mean, the, the anger that was going through my veins because the word was out. That Chelsea were going to come big for Enzo Fernandez. I said I wasn't going to talk about him, but it is part of the context of this match. Enzo decides that uh, he he tries to ask not to play, and the club is like, "Are you crazy? This is three crucial points. See, Benfica build up the big eight point lead, and it was crucial. And I know I said this on Twitter. I I didn't record a pod, so I didn't say it, but I was I was fairly active on Twitter at the time. Um, and I said it in conversations with some of you that, that this was crucial because I was very afraid. I was very worried about this Braga match coming back from the World Cup, and all my fears were realized. It went exactly as I feared, um, but not the way, not why I thought it would happen. I didn't, never expected it to be a player on the inside, a crucial player like this, first refusing to play and then basically playing, standing and running on the field. And if you watch this match on Goal TV in the United States in English, I tweeted at the commentator Nino Torres, my friend, who <laughs> I tweeted him a lot during matches. If you haven't noticed, and on a lot of times, get him to read my tweets on the air. That's it's it's a fun little game, and uh, Nino Nino is awesome. But I, I as we were losing three 0 in this match, I sent him a tweet from Goal Point. I reached, I sent him a screenshot of Goal Point. That uh, showed Enzo in this match after he'd been subbed off and replaced by Shikinu. What an omen that was! Uh, never, <laughs> never did anyone expect, you know, that that was going to be an omen for what would come in the next month. But I tweeted that he led all players on both teams in turnovers in this match and failed passes, way out of character. And I said to Nino, "His heart is not here anymore." And he took he he tried to defend the player. Said, oh, he's just a kid. Don't look how upset he. he, he the camera zoomed in. Happened to zoom in on uh, Enzo just as this tweet was being read. It was quite nice. Uh, gave me a nice moment there, <laughs> and uh, I got some tweets from some people saying, "Hey, I just heard. I just heard the guy on Goal TV read your name." I go, "Yeah, yeah." I talk to him almost every match. Um, but he said, "He said I just got a, a tweet from my friend Mike Agostino." And he says, you know, it looks like Enzo's heart is not in it. Look at it. Look how sad he is. And he didn't look sad. To me, he looked frustrated he even had to be there. He made sure to not stick his foot in in any 50-50s. He basically passed the ball sideways or backwards or he turned it over. He covered very little space. He was not the player we had seen before the World Cup. He definitely was not the player we saw at the World Cup. And man, the worst thing that happened to Benfica this year was Argentina. First losing to Saudi Arabia so that Scaloni realizes he has to put this kid in and then Argentina going from there to win the World Cup. Um, This kid was obviously, Enzo was obviously a key part of that and no one can take away from him what he did at the World Cup for his country. No one can take away from him what he did for Benfica before he left for the World Cup. But uh, again, uh, my com- my my compliments for him are about to run out. But uh, Benfica humiliated three nil. Their r- first real bad game of the year. But of course, at the time, I choked up a lot of this to or chalked up a lot of this to the timing of the match. You could see that the team had clearly lost their rhythm during the break, as as was to be expected. Braga had, I don't think, any players at the World Cup, and were able to prepare for this match for a month. Think about that for a moment. Um, so it, it all paid off for them. But then we, we came back and played one of our better matches despite the scoreline being close. A 1-0 win on Friday, January the 6th at the Luge. Dromariu converting a penalty and then Ausch, another penalty being awarded. And this time, Dromariu giving the ball to Auschnitz. And I think this was because Dromariu... Nearly had his penalty saved by Nakamura. And I think he knew that the next one was going to be saved. And when Auschnitz offered to take it, I think he said, sure. I want to keep my momentum going. Thinking maybe a different shooter would, would would throw the goalkeeper off. And the goalkeeper saved it. Again, it was a carbon copy of the one Auschnitz would miss this past Thursday in Braga. But Benfica would play very well and leave that match with a 1-0 victory. A 1-0 that was never in doubt, okay? The scoreline might look tight. It was not a very close game, but if you could complete control. Then they head to Verzin for the world. For the world for the Portuguese Cup, excuse me, it's getting late. Like I said, it's after midnight now. For the Portuguese Cup, round 16 against, the at the time, the leaders in the Liga 3 North, uh, which is a perfect time to segue and plug. Liga 3 English returning this Monday. Okay? Right here on the feed. Liga 3 English. A lot has changed. I'll, I'll bring it all up to date. But anyways, Verzing and Tiago Magarido, their Portista manager who is not shy about the fact that he's a Portista. Uh, could do well in this one to get on the board early because he makes no mistake that he is going to sit in like he did against Sporting and not allow, you know, Beifica opportunities. Really try to cut it out. But Grimaldo scores in the fourth minute, and then Enzo scores in the 78th, and that infamous ultimate, maybe, and this is the moment I think that really sealed him as a traitor to Benfica, because had he not done this, I think a lot of us would feel a little bit differently, but he scores his goal, looks at the Benfica fans, points to the emblem, he may have even kissed it. And then po- said he was staying put. Points to the spot, says, "I'm here. I'm staying here." <sighs> I think he believed, and the club believed that Chelsea were not coming back with another offer. I think that's mm-hmm. what happened after the the deal collapsed when Chelsea was not. I'll talk about it in the, in, in, in a future episode. They uh, think sporting was next. On January the 15th, we talked about it. Uh, Tiago Martins, the referee from Thursday night in Braga, was the VAR in this one. The referee in this one was Artur the the uh, An absolute thief. A brilliant thief. What a duo. No surprise, Artur swarcz Dias is going to be calling the, Bra- the Spartan Porto match tomorrow or now today. Because it's after midnight on the 13th of February. I can only imagine what type of of, of mental gymnastics he's going to perform to help out his mob boss from the north. Artur Suarzias knows that Macaco Madureira knows where his pastry shop is. Artur Suarzias likes his windows not broken, likes his doors not spray painted. Um, I expect nothing from Sport. I I don't expect Sporting to get anything out of this match. With Porto, despite it being at Alvalade, if they do, I will be thrilled, surprised, and I will be more than happy to say I was wrong. But sixty-two thousand two hundred ninety-five took this match in at the Stadio de Luge, and it was just a night where everything went wrong for Benfica. um Again, I think the performance was pretty good. Sporting had a decent plan. and uh, you know, uh, Ruben Amorim seems to always be prepared to play Benfica. He seems to know what he needs to do. Uh, ba scores an own goal. I'll talk about Ba in a minute and my assessment of him so far. But he ends up getting the OG in this one. Uh, 27th minute. Then in the 37th, Ramuj equalizes on a nice cross. Uh, the assist came. It doesn't say here who the assist came from. It came from Grimaldo. No, Grimaldo got the second assist. Doesn't credit an assist in the in the first goal, but I remember it being off a cross. He finishes it, beating Adan, and it's one-one going to halftime. And then in the fifty-second minute is the penalty I've pointed to several times in this episode. Is there contact? Sure. Is it any different than what he did not call in favor of Benfica in Braga? Not really. No, it's same kind of thing. But he calls it on Antonio Silva, and Potts steps up and, and, and finishes the pen. Ten minutes later, Ramos again, this time from Grimaldo, makes it 2-2. That's how it finishes. If think it deserve a little more from this one, uh, but it is a 2-2 draw with Sporting. And Sporting, when they want to, can be a pretty decent team, as they've shown in their matches with Braga and as they showed in this match and as they probably will not show in this round 20 match against against Porto in the coming hours. In fact, I, I have the feeling Braga... Uh, again, I shouldn't... Let me start that sentence over. I have a feeling that the Sporting fans will will cheer Porto to beat them because, again, they don't want to let Porto get too far behind. They're at a spot where they're like, Maisval better let... Uh, Porto keep keeps their their distance. God forbid Porto lose any distance to Benfica. So that's where my expectations are for that match. But anyway, um this one finished 2-2 and Benfica dropped the second set of points. So Benfica at this point, five points dropped in the league. That's all. Um, that complete Oh, sorry. The first the first half of the season is completed a Saturday uh, a week later, Saturday, January the twenty first, in the Assurge in Punta Delgada. Um got, go there. They beat Santa Clara 3 0 on a fantastic match from this guy named Enzo Fernandez, who was just phenomenal in this match. And it would be he put on Fotmob a 9.1 uh rating, man of the match performance. Little did we know this is the last we would see of Enzo Fernandez in a Benfica kit. Chelsea would show up a day or two later. Uh, now ready to take the, the negotiations seriously, now ready to uh, pay the amount that it calls for. And at this point, he would decide he was not going to be a Benfica player anymore. I didn't even get into the part where he left the team for New Year's to go to Argentina with his agent, no less. A clear attempt to force his way out of the club. Again, I will unload on all that in another episode. Uh, a week later, we start the second, ra- the second half of the season by actually playing our round 20 match. Um, you know, had it moved up from... This coming weekend because Benfica would have this late-in-the-week TASA match and then a, a midweek Champions League match next week. So we played Passos de Ferreira on Thursday, January 26th. We went to the Capital of Furniture. And at the Capital of Furniture Stadium, Capital do Movel, we would win 2-0. A goal from Grimaldo, another brilliant free kick, and another goal from João Mario. João Mario, you're going to get some props in just a moment. Uh, next match was January 31st on the road at Oroca. And actually, let me take a look here. One thing I need to check. Enzo was actually on the pitch in Passos de Ferreira. I have my history wrong. Uh, played another solid match in Passos de Ferreira. Now, that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday is when he decided he wasn't going to. Sorry, that was on Thursday, the 26th. And by Tuesday, he decided on the final day of the window, he was not going to play. Um, I'll get to this in the next episode and, and the way things went down and the way that I followed it. And I got some what I thought at the time was wrong information. But then after we caught interview, interview, it connected all the dots and why it seemed like he was going to stay. But anyways he didn't play and we played fantastic and this is where again i got my tweet read my mess- my it was actually a direct message to uh to Nino he read it on the air he's the man he's just the man shout out to Nino Nino what's up man nino torres gold tv um it was a friend benfica t- played phenomenal and but if you could go into halftime up 1-0, completely controlling the match. Another goal from João Mario, assisted by by Aushniz. And, um, and then the news breaks at halftime that the sale is going to happen at the death. One hour to go in the transfer window. And because this is another Portuguese 9.15 p.m. kickoff on a weeknight. In front of a raucous 4,614 in Norroca. And all Benfica fans, by the way. And um, you could hear the air just come out of the stadium. I it, it was so strange, but yet so understandable. When the second half started, it's as if the Benfica fans weren't there anymore. And I said to Nino, I go, we, and this was when we were up three, nothing because Jean Mario would score again in the 54th. And it was the first goal all season. Befica scored and I didn't even react. Um, my attitude probably wasn't the best at this moment. Of course, I'm also working at this time. So a- in addition to keeping one eye on the match, I got another eye on accounts I'm working on and who knows who's fu- who's, Whose accounts I messed up that day. But <laughs> that's another story for another day. But uh an assist from Gonzalo Gedge. This was Gonzalo um uh, debut and then he was subbed in the 67th. Musa comes on and Musa scores in the 81st. And again, little reaction from me. Polite clap from the, <laughs> the crowd. At least it came across that way on television. Maybe live it wasn't quite that that stale or that just deflated. But that's when I hit up Nino and I said, "Man, we're up 3-0. There's no life in the crowd. This match feel this feels like a loss because we lost the race to uh stall until the deadline. And uh he says on the air he's like come on man, it's a player's world and you can't prevent the opportunity and this and that. And I didn't even know at the time that the damn guy refused to stay on until the end of the season, keeping all his money Whilst the club was willing to part with 20 million euros in the deal. Had I known that at the time, I would not. My sadness would have been rage as it was a day later. And uh, it did. It felt like a loss in a sense that I know we got the points, but. And it wasn't even directed at the league. But all of a sudden, it's like the Champions League becomes an afterthought it's it's like once again our hope and i'm not saying benfica was going to win the champions league or go to the final but you could see the semifinals becoming a real reality and that and i mean that for a club like benfica on a payroll like benfica's would would just be one hell of an achievement that could really just inspire benfica nation inspire the fan base inspire the players and the club to just continue to go forward with this project, continue to be stronger. And suddenly it's like, do we have enough now to even play in the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, not to disrespect or underestimate Bruges, because I don't... Despite mocking the <laughs> the the headline of them being the Real Madrid of, of Belgium, which is ridiculous, because they're not. But anything can happen in a 180-minute tie in the Champions League. I mean, if if the first leg doesn't go well, we put ourselves under a ton of pressure for the second leg at home, but it just felt like the Champions League became an afterthought. Like, once again, quarterfinals is our ceiling. I hope I'm wrong, and with the right draw and maybe some results in other ties, we might be able to still push a semifinal um, you know, a semi-final um, accomplishment, but it just felt like it, the air just came out and, like, we just took a huge step backwards as the team was just starting to find – I, the way I saw it, the team was just starting to play well, just starting to find its form again. We're starting to work our way back towards the pre-World Cup uh, form, and this came and happened, and this just absolutely – felt like it could derail the team but credit to Roger Schmidt credit to the locker room and I have to give credit to the captain because this doesn't happen without his leadership the team and now it's apparent that the team pulled together in this moment um a few other guys left at the at the at the end of the the window but there was no time for Benfica to go get a replacement for Enzo. And Jouy Kosh is 100% right. Again, I'll talk about it in the future. But when he says that Benfica would have had to pay double or, or you know, one and a half times the rate to get a player to come in, and he probably may not be any better than what we have. There's no guarantee we would be able to get anyone better than what's already here. And to go out and just make a transfer for the sake of making it and spending, you know, $10 million to get a $5 million Euro player. Makes no sense. I agree with that. And it's now an opportunity for different guys to step up. And, I, you know, Joel Neves is going to get his opportunity to play. But I don't think – I think that's too much pressure on the kid right now. But Shikinu so far, and I'm not saying he is even in the same atmosphere as Enzo Fernandez. I'm not saying that. But I think he's competent enough to – hold on to what we have right now. He's competent enough and he's he's making the most of his opportunity. Nobody can deny that. You can say he's... I, I don't like the the belief that people have set in their mind that a player cannot be a Benfica player. If he is at Benfica, he is a Benfica player. And when you haven't seen a player play at his best because he hasn't been used in his proper position, which he's finally being used in. And I again, he's not Enzo Fernandez. He's not even Al Miserati. Okay? But... He's competent. He's consistent. You can trust him. All we have to do is trust him not to cost us. And he's exceeding all of those expectations right now. And Roger knows best, okay? Everyone doubted him when he when he stuck with Florentino, when he when he's stuck with João Mariu. remember how many people said we can't win with a midfield that consists of, of Lu- <laughs> Florentino Luiz and Romario. Uh, how are we going to win anything? How can we go into the Champions League with that, right? Well, now look at where we stand. Okay, we've lost one match all season. We're top of the table. Whatever happens in the in the mini classico, it's not really a classico. It's a, it's a battle of two two brothers basically Porto and Sporting. and um whatever happens there we have a five a minimum five point lead at round 20 14 rounds from the end we survived the month of January staying top of the table remember what happened the past three feb the fast three januaries we've absolutely imploded so very very happy with that okay uh again whatever happens Everyone said these guys couldn't cut it. And you know what? Roger Schmidt said, yes, they can cut it. And so far they have. So there's no reason to doubt him. Is Shikinu a long term answer? No, he's an answer for the rest of the season, I think. And we cannot just put somebody there we don't have. Um, and I trust the manager, again, if 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 form dips and he's not able to continue. He'll put someone in, he'll make an adjustment, and someone else will go in there. And that's where I think Draxler, may, you know, as players get worn down and start needing breaks, because Joel Mariu at some point has to dip because he's just playing way above the level we have seen from him in years and you and we used to. I used to say this about PZ as well. It's very similar. It's it's a wave, and you want to ride it until it runs out. And maybe at that point we have a more healthy uh, Draxler that can give us two or three strong performances, even if it's for sixty minutes, and we can work away. And then maybe somebody else comes in, and and, and earns their their stripes. Who knows? We maybe at that point you know Jo Mariu recovers or Auschwitz. Takes his leap, and suddenly, you know, we make a change. And it's and it's Florentino and Auschwitz. And you bring on when you have a healthy Rafa, a healthy Gonzalo Gedge, and a healthy David Nedge, you have all kinds of options out wide. You no longer need Auschwitz out wide. And I think he's playing wide right now out of necessity, which is why Chiquinho is playing. And Chiquinho's is the guy making the most of his play right now, no question about it. He, um. He he's playing a very high efficient pass efficiency. He's positionally very good in that position. This was his position when he played at uh, at Morderes. This was his position at Academica. This was his position at Lechonc. So he's very familiar and very comfortable in his role right now. Yeah, he's probably not a long term, not a long term answer. But you know what? He is the kind of guy you need in your squad who can come off the bench when needed and not drop the team's level noticeably and he's done that the team has kept their level they have played well um it's it was again on this match was a 3-0 win at at Aroca and then finally this past Saturday again another good performance from from the same guys I'll talk about it again Chiquinho put in a good one um it was a 3-0 win over Casapia at the lose remember all the difficulty we had with Casapia in the first uh First half of the season, I think it was round two, playing them in lady in a practical home away from home game. Um, this one took place in the Luge, like I said, it's in, in front of fifty eight thousand seven hundred sixty three. jean Adieu with the double, neither of them from the spot. Jerome Adieu's confidence right now is in is through the sky. He is he is becoming that late arriving f- midfielder um, that we often, you know, that that Enzo was between what what I think is happening. Is that between all of the midfielders. They're covering. They're doing it as a unit. They're doing it collectively. But they're covering the holes left. In Enzo's absence. Dromadio becoming a goal scorer. Scoring two here. And joining. Joining. Gonzalo Ramush. And Fran Navarro. Atop of the goal scoring lead. With 12 goals. And now. Goals and assists, João Mario leads the league with 12 goals and 6 assists for a total of being in 18 goals. He's level with Fran Navarro. He's level with, uh, sorry, Medi Taremi on that one. All right. And Alexander Bas scores an absolute scorcher, an absolute wonder strike, a worldie, if you will, uh, with his left foot in the 71st. And the assist was by, you guessed it, João Mario, the man of the moment. um. And if he plays this way for two more months, he's gonna he's gonna have a real claim at being the Portuguese League's player of the year this year. Uh, especially if he could continue to get results. Um, again, we saw Joel Neves, he's debuted in the past month and a half. Um, good performance from him, benefiting off of his B team buddies deciding not to renew their contracts and to leave on freeze at the end of the year. Clearly, that's not gonna put you on the first team. Joan Jo Nev says, "Sure, Johnny Snows, as I call him when I'm watching with my son, I say that's Johnny Snows, and he's getting valuable experience. So that's where we stand. Um, the table right now, as it stands, at 12:23 a.m. on s- Eastern time in the United States, 5:53, 5:23, excuse me, a.m. in in Portugal right now. Uh, a mere, I don't know, 12 hours till." Porto takes the pitch against Sparthing. Benfica hold an eight point lead right now. Obviously, Porto and Sparthing and Braga all have a match in hand on them. Uh, Benfica on 53, Porto on 45, Braga on 43, Sporting on 38, and now Vitória Guimarães with their 1 0 victory today against, I believe it was against the Roca today. Uh, they won 1 0, and it was over. It was over Porto excuse me, Porto Mones, if you, if you want to call him that. I like to call him that. Um, they they get the 1-0 win. They move into fifth, which is a Euro- Europa Conference League spot. Um, I think when all is said and done, sixth place will also be a Europa League spot. Right now, sixth place is being, uh, it's a tug of war with a s- finally, dipping in form, Casapia on 30, but they still got a player in round 20, they have 30 points, so does Arroca. Arroca has already played in round 20, so Casapia need a result this week uh, to stay ahead of Arroca on points and not on head-to-head, I think is what has them ahead right now, Shav surprisingly in eighth, Good, uh, a good season for Steven Vitoria and the rest of the Transmotanus uh, Flavians as they're also known of uh, twenty six points right now from twenty matches, one better than Vizela. Boavista in tenth. They're also on twenty five points, just like Vizela. Porto Munez is in eleventh with twenty three. Estoril twelfth with twenty two. Chiov 21 points, same as Fumalicão, thirteenth and fourteenth respectively. And Gil Vicente, uh, sitting one place above the relegation playoff spot. They're in 15th place, so at 19 points, four better than Santa Clara. The Bravos of Surianus need points in a hurry. They lost again this weekend. Uh, they will need to get points. They're four behind uh, Gil Vicente right now, but they are two ahead of Maritimu um, in you know the automatic drop line. Maritimu are 17th on 13, and Cesar Peixotus, Passos de Freira are on nine points, losing. Uh they lose this week. I think they I don't think they yeah, they do have they have played 20 matches in. Um nine points still, six points from the playoff spot at right now is probably their most realistic uh opportunity to stay in the league will be to get to that playoff spot and then hold off uh the Liga 2's uh third place team. As we get there, may I may and with Benfica B playing in the in the Liga two, I'm thinking about possibly adding a segment. Uh, With their stuff I can't uh, guarantee I'll watch them every week It's not always the easiest the, the games do not play at the most convenient times But uh, I'll try to keep my, my I'll try to keep tabs on them And give you an update on what's going on in Liga 2 And just what teams are looking like They're coming up right now It looks like More is a foregone conclusion To come back up And right now Amadora and Ferenc fighting for that second automatic spot uh, That is the table right now most of the way through round 20. We'll look now at the top goal scorers. I mentioned it earlier, but it's Gonzalo ramos at the top, along with Joe Mario, Fran Navarro, all three of them with 12 goals. Then Taremi, one back with 11. Pot with 10. And then from there, we got three guys with eight goals. It's Ricardo Horta, it's Galeno of Porto, and Yushupa Nije of of uh. Bovista and Simon Banza and Ode Dabag uh, sit there with seven. Simon Banza, of course, is the one that nearly scored in the ninetieth plus five against Benfica there Thursday with a back heel after a good individual play by Bruma. Ode Dabag is a player for Arroca. Okay, round twenty-one matches. Let's uh, pull those up quickly before we go in this episode. Uh, round 21. Here we go. Round 21 begins on Friday, February the 17th, in a Northern uh, Regional clash between Gil Vicente and Vizela. Saturday, February the 18th, Portimonense host Marítimo. Isturial host Passos de Ferreira, and Porto host Rio Ave. Rio Ave did get points from them. In the first half of the season. Um, Looking at that really quickly. Their last match. um, Chihuahua did in fact win 3-1. At the. I forget the name of their stadium. At their stadium. Which right now is hardly a stadium. It's Stadilus Arkus, If I'm not mistaken. Um, It's hardly a stadium. As it's missing a, a major grandstand. Um, at least now they have the cons- the construction fence up. It doesn't look as bad as it did when Porto were there. And it was like literally a rope keeping people away. But yeah, they will meet next week at the Dragão. That's Saturday. That's the night game. And then on Sunday, Santa Clara host Family Cone on the island. While Braga hosts Roca. And Casa Pia will welcome Vitoria Guimarães to the Jamor. Yes, the Jamor, not the, the Pina Monique, where they are from. Or Pina Manique I think, is the name of their stadium. Um, still a one of these things in Portuguese football, again, only in Portuguese football, uh, that a team here in round 21 is still yet to play a home game on their proper pitch um, for reasons that are kind of nonsensical, especially when... Clubs don't draw that well. Who cares how big their stadium is? Uh, but anyway, Kazapia hosts, sort of host in quotations, host. Victoria Guimarães at the Jamor. Monday, February 20th, two big clashes on that one. In Trajus-Montes, it's, it's Chaves hosting Spartan in Ataluge. Benfica hosting Bovista. Benfica playing another 9.15 p.m. local time kickoff on a weeknight and uh that that closes out round twenty one before we go a few more notes that I did jot down and I skipped right over um just an assessment of all the different things so far uh this season and mostly in this space of time where there was no podcast episodes recorded um the explosion of Mario is really the major story he has just absolutely catapulted himself to the front of of a lot of racing, like I said, if this continues, he's going to have a valid argument. And, ha- and you know, even if it's a long shot, be, he'll be a shot to be the the MVP or the man of the season, the player of the season, whatever they call it in Portuguese. The, bo- the bola d'oro that, that a bola hands out. Um, not to be confused with the bola de prata, which is also, also bola de prata, meaning, of course, silver ball, which is also equivalent to the golden boot. Not the golden ball, but the golden boot. Um, but Joel really making an impact right now, helping Benfica transition away from Enzo Fernandez, With no no question about it, that is where they stand right now. I have to shout him out for that. Also, Gonzalo Ramos, for all the abuse he takes from some segments of the fan base um, and from the the analysts on some of the television networks, of course, continues to find the back of the net when he's healthy. Right now, he leads the league in goals per 90 minutes, and it's not even close. Uh, he's at 0.89 goals per 90 minutes. Um, almost a goal a game for, for young Gonzalo Ramush. Uh, I suppose it's only a matter of time before someone comes in and starts uh, trying to get in his mind, trying to get on his agent's good side, trying to convince his parents uh, that it's time for a move. Hopefully, that doesn't come until the right time. Preferably when Enrique Arujo is prepared to take over. But that's just my opinion. Um, but right now, again, 0.89. Almost a goal per, per game from uh, Gonzalo Ramuch. Gonzalo Guedes' return on, on loan is huge. He has fit in beautifully, like I said. He's seamless transition back to Benfica, back to Portuguese football. And he's already come up with some big goals and some big assists. Um, he's going to be important important piece. As we continue to move forward to hopefully eventually winning the 38, Uh Aushin is most consistent, along with Altamendi. These two guys are absolutely consistent. Um, uh, hopefully, his head is high. Hopefully, uh, this missed penalty does not affect him in the next match or in the f- the matches going forward. We need him at top top uh, performance right now continuing to do what he's done since the day he arrived. Uh, Again, a 27-year-old in his prime. Uh, That's the kind of players we need more of, a little bit more of that in this team so we can see this one out. Grimaldo having a career season also, not to forget him. And um, yeah, he's not resigned. Him and Otamendi neither have uh, signed their extensions to stay next season. The club is interested in keeping both. Talks are ongoing. Um, Grimaldo, I have a feeling if if the, I don't know that anyone's going to come along with a better offer than what Befica are offering him, to be honest. I think Befica will make every effort to keep him. Uh, he's so instrumental this season. We don't know how many good years he has left, but again, he's not on the wrong side of 30 yet. Um, he's still He's still on his peak, and he probably has another season or two at this level before we start to see that dip. And lastly, we need a healthy Rafa back. He is so crucial. Um, We're so much more dangerous when Rafa healthy is on the pitch and finding his way into the empty spots and helping us out of bad situations with the dribble, helping us counterattack with his pace. Um, I can't wait until I see a healthy Rafa. Again, I hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, Lastly, okay, there's a little bit more content, like I said, coming out this week. This is the, my final uh, message here. Um, I have already told you that I'm going to be recording Liga 3 English uh, probably tomorrow night. And it'll go up. Um, it'll go up Monday morning. Um, also, I have, a, like I said, the Hui Costa episode or the interview episode where I react to the interview, analyze it. And at that point, I will, I will absolutely let loose and uh, show no mercy to Juan Enzo Fernandez. Um, you'll get my thoughts on that very, very soon. I've, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably uh, have a good idea where I stand, but I have kept it to myself as much as I could so that I could say it on this episode. Also, I got to get you a Benfica women's episode. They are on a long international break right now um they have booked their trip to the final in the league cup they've booked their trip to the semi-final in the portuguese cup both at the ex- at the expense of arch rival sporting they got a comfortable 10 point lead atop the liga bpi i'll catch you all up to speed on that this week and uh also i have now seen the benfica documentary the factory of dreams about the sechal i will be doing an episode recapping that four piece mini series uh, docu series if you will Uh, I will, I will give you my thoughts on that and, um, I enjoyed it. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a good review. Trust me, I am going to give it a good, a good, uh, good score, if you will, or a good rating. Um, but that's it for this episode of Mr. Benfica again, hard to, to recap so much time in one episode, but the, the goal and the plan now is to get back to regularly scheduled programming. And I will catch you next time here on Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agostinho signing off. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mike Agostinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And the show is at Benfica. Mr. Okay. See you next time here on Mr. Benfica signing off. This has been a production of the PTB Media Network. Carrega Benfica. Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. And lastly, most importantly, don't forget to use the hashtag If you love football, you love Benfica. Goodbye, everybody.